Morning, everybody. Well, uh, it's, uh, it's great to uh, continue our series this morning looking at the uh, 2020 vision. I'm just aware that I don't trip over a microphone and do myself. Uh, thank you. That's right. Uh, looking at our uh, 2020 vision, uh, this is a series that we started uh, last week. Steve started talking last week uh, from Joshua. Uh, I'm going to carry on uh, this morning. But, but if, we, uh, if we put the next slide up, we've got there. These are our goals and visions, uh, or goal and vision, for the next three, four years to take us into 2020. These are things that we want to have as part and parcel of who we are as a people, to, to give away £60,000, to pray for healing for over 1,500 people, to baptise 140 people, to plant another church, to give away more leaders, next phase of a building project, to feed Crawley. Those are big goals. Those are big visions. If, uh, if anybody here has got faith that we can do all of that now, then share some of that faith because we need to grow into some of this. We need to keep teaching about this. We need to keep preaching about this. We need to almost like grab hold of uh, that slide and kind of bring it into the present. This is the DNA of who we are and what we want to do uh, as a church. But these are not just goals for goals' sake. Any kind of business, any organisation can write itself a mission statement, can write itself some goals and say, this is our plan for the next five years. This is more than just goals on a piece of paper because these are birthed in scripture. This is birthed in things that God has said to us as a movement of churches. These are things that God has said to us as a church as to where he wants to take us in the next few years. So this is really important because this is what God is saying to us. This is what God is saying, this is the church that I want you to be. Uh, so each week, we are, as we look at these visions and goals, we are birthing them and earthing them in the very scriptures that God has given us. Last week, uh, Steve was speaking from Joshua uh, when, when God said to Joshua, there's land still to be taken and we looked at what that means for us as a people to still take land. This morning we're looking at another verse that's really important to us as a church. You may want to turn to Isaiah 43, but because it's only a couple of verses by the time you've got there, but Isaiah's in the middle of your Bible. If you're not sure, if you open your Bible at the middle, you'll kind of get to Isaiah. But a couple of verses from Isaiah uh, 43 says there, Remember not the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, says God, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do not perceive it. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let's just pray. Lord, Father, I just commit this word, uh, commit this word to, to your wisdom. Lord, pray would you help me to uh, explain this. Pray you'd fill our hearts with your truth. Pray you'd uh, cause our spirits to rise uh, and just seize this truth. Thank you for your word that's so rich uh, and so powerful. Amen. Amen. Behold, I do a new thing. It's something that is at the very heart of who God is and how he works with his people. God is a God who brings new things to us. God is a, bring, a God who brings new vision 
and new revelation. It says in that passage, not to remember the former things. That's not to say that we ignore what's gone before. That's not to say that we dismiss what has gone before. But we very much cannot be a people who dwell in the past. We're not a people who live on yesterday's blessings. We have to constantly asking, what comes next? What is God saying to us now? Uh, the poet in Lamentations, I won't even dare to try and find Lamentations, which is buried in the Old Testament somewhere, but the poet in Lamentations says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Every morning the mercies of God are new. And we have this great picture, again, if you know your, your Old Testament history of the people of God uh, wandering in the wilderness, uh, crying out for food, and God provided this wonderful manna, this food that, that appeared on the ground each morning. Um, and they were told to gather that up, but not to save any for the next day. The, the careful, the kind of thoughtful might think, oh, we've got lots here, Let, let's put some in a jar for tomorrow. But God said to them, no, every day my blessings are new. And when they found that they did store it and preserve it for the next day, it became rotten uh, and infested with maggots. Every day the God brings a new blessing. And, and there are so many other uh, illustrations and stories we could use for Scripture, but we must not be a people who live in the past. We must not be a people who dwell on yesterday's blessing. God says to us, behold, I do a new thing. And uh, there is this great uh, story through scripture that God is bringing all things to himself. There, there's almost like an irony here. Um, as I first kind of thought about this passage that Steve had given me, behold, I do new things. What is the one greatest characteristic about God? He's unchanging. So there's this kind of paradox here. How can a God who is unchanging seem so caught up in wanting to change things? Well, it's obviously not God who needs to change. It's us that need to change. God needs to bring us on in himself. God has a plan and a purpose and a vision for his people. It's the story of the Bible. It's a story that starts back there in Eden with God having a perfect relationship with his creation. A relationship that was broken through sin. Uh, and then when we get to the end of the Bible, we have this great verse in Revelation 21 where, where God says again, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. You know, the circle has been closed. The dwelling that began in Eden is again restored in Revelation. And so there is this journey that we are on as a people of God. Day by day, week by week, generation by generation, receiving new revelation, receiving the new things of God that bring us on. There is, however, a second paradox uh, in this verse. If we are talking about what we as a church will do in 2020, about where we are going in the future, how, how strange, how paradoxical to look back into the depths of the Old Testament to something that was written thousands of years ago, halfway around the world, and say, how, how on earth can that be relevant to us today? How do we join the dots between Isaiah and Crawley in 2017? And it's actually a very simple uh, line to draw. I've said it already, because God is a God who does new things. 
to every generation, God says, behold, I do a new thing. And so if I can give you a title for this morning, if you want a, a title, it is the, the yesterday, today and tomorrow of behold, I do a new thing. Because I'm not going to dare to encourage you yet, I will, but not yet, about what this means for us tomorrow. Unless we first have a framework and a mindset that understands what this meant to people yesterday and to people in the past. So what does, behold, I do a new thing, or what did, behold, I do a new thing mean to the people of Isaiah's time, to the people that read this for the first time? You see, if we step back into Isaiah's world for a moment and pick up the story of God's people, we find it at a sad time, at a low point. Do you notice Steve picks the easy verses, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Last week, he, he's organising this series. He picked out Joshua 13. Oh, there's land to be taken. Oh, I can do that one. That works so well with us as a people. I've got Isaiah. Um, but actually, in all seriousness, uh, and you, know, you can draw all those parallels from Joshua. What have we got here with Isaiah? You see, the glory days of Joshua are gone. The glory days of King David and King Solomon are gone. This great kingdom, this great people of God has been divided into two nations. You have Israel in the north, you have Judah in the south. Israel has already been swallowed up and conquered by Assyria. There is this rising power now that people can see on the horizon called Babylon that's expanding towards Judah. And the question comes, well, where was the promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation? Where is the promise of a great people who will seize and conquer the whole world? Where, where is the promise of a, of a people that will listen to God's words when every warning and every prophecy that Isaiah brings is simply ignored? No matter what he says, no matter what he does, the, the, the imminent certainty of Babylon's overthrow of Judah seems to come ever nearer ever more certain. So where is God in all of this? Where is the God who has promised so much to his people? It's such a sad time, it's such a low time in history. And into this situation, God says, behold, I do a new thing. Behold, I do a new thing. There'll be a new dimension. There'll be a new perspective. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. That's just a, a chapter earlier, Isaiah 42. This is the heartbeat of God into this situation, into these times. Behold, I'm going to do a new thing. It may look gloomy. It may seem dark. The future may be uncertain. You may be saying, what comes next? Behold, I do a new thing. So what is this new thing that God is going to do to rescue his people? Well, we read that as we move on in Isaiah and look at such well-known chapters and verses. Isaiah 53, Behold, says God, behold my servant. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah brings forth this great prophecy 
about the coming Messiah in a time when everything was bleak, when there was no future, where there was no hope, where whatever man had done seems to have failed, God says, behold, I do a new thing. Behold my servant. Behold the true king who will sit on David's throne and demonstrate God's power. Behold the living temple who will make a way for people to come into a relationship with God. Behold the living word that men will not be able to ignore. This is what is coming. And you see, all through history, down through the ages, this has been the direction of travel for God's people, that he is bringing a new thing into their lives. He's restoring that which men themselves cannot do, could not do. You see, we've had earthly kings throughout the history of this book, earthly kings who have failed to live up to the promise and to demonstrate kingly rule to the people. We've had earthly priests who are limited by their own sin, their own fallibility, and so they have to make sacrifices every single day, and even then, it's only for a temporary cleansing. This is not the answer. There are prophets who speak God's word, but so often it's ignored. Jeremiah, I think, was the one that was chucked down a well, and every now and then they'd lift the lid to say, what have you got to say? And when he prophesied, they just shut the lid back down again. No, we don't want to hear that. You know, God's word is ignored. And and God says, no, that's changing. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. So for generations long ago, behold, I do a new thing meant that Jesus is coming. It meant that Jesus is coming. And if we just think again of our vision for a moment, the circumstances that that was written to, how impossible was that? How outrageous was that? What leap of courageous faith did it take to believe that the Messiah would come and restore that which Assyria had already swallowed up, that which Babylon Babylon was making claims on. Who could believe that that could be reversed? What measure of faith was needed by that generation to say, we believe that God can do a new thing in our time? But let us fast forward a number of centuries to today. We'll come to tomorrow in a moment. Let us just fast forward to today. And I don't mean by today, July the 16th, 2017. I mean this generation. This generation that has followed God for the last 30 or so years. Uh, I think when Dave Holden was here a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about us being being second generation charismatics now. We've grown up uh, 30 years with this uh, renewal, this uh, charismatic movement. We've got new people growing up in the church now. What does behold I do a new thing mean to a generation, my generation, that is kind of passing this baton on to a new generation? You see, for me, behold I do a new thing is a very powerful and a very personal verse. It's a verse that is very personal and very powerful to many, many people of my generation. Because if you wind the clock back uh, 30 or so years to a time when people didn't worship many, in many instances in the way that we worship today, when uh, church services consisted of a kind of a prayer hymn sandwich and an organ, 
and the most exciting thing I would do as a teenager in church was look at the pillar that had the hymn numbers and the order that we were going to sing them in. And so that when you finished hymn number 105, you could turn in your hymn book to hymn number 97, so that when, who was ever leading, leading the meeting, said, let us stand and sing our next hymn, you could stand with your hymn book already open at hymn 97. It was a very Mr. Beanish type of church service. But that was how exciting it got back then. And there were so many people who were honestly desiring to follow God, to move in truth and vibrancy and a real legitimate relationship with God, struggling with that sort of service. And so that generation in the mid-70s, God said, Behold, I do a new thing. Behold, I do a new thing. It was a verse that pointed so many people in the direction of the Holy Spirit. At the time, the, the forgotten third person of the Trinity. We started to have seminars and conferences with Holy Spirit in the title, spiritual gifts in the title. It was a whole new chapter that was suddenly opened up burst out of the Bible. Verses that we'd read suddenly took on new meaning. Matthew 9, 17. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And so both are preserved. And those verses were rich in meaning and many people who were wanting to move on with the Holy Spirit at this time, again, the structures that we had couldn't contain that. And so many small house churches were formed coming out of traditional churches. That was the, the kind of church that I uh, transitioned into. It was the church that, where this church started from 40-odd years ago, a group of people meeting in a front room saying the structures that we have are not sufficient to hold this behold, I do, a new thing. It took impossible, courageous leaps of faith to believe that how can you replace the organ with an electric guitar and drum kits? How can you allow people to come to the front and share something? What happens to the planned order of service? How can you allow this, this freedom? How can we allow spiritual gifts? How can we open this all up? Behold, says God, I do a new thing. And it took courageous leaps of faith. I say this not because I was fast to embrace this. I was incredibly slow to embrace this. Again, I remember, get a part of a traditional uh, Baptist church, uh, a number of people, almost kind of secretively, furtively, without kind of wanting to advertise it too much, used to, once a month on a Saturday evening, go to one of these Holy Spirit meetings. And you didn't want to announce it too much in case it upset the tradition and the, you know, people started to feel a little bit nervous. No, we're not going to another church, but we're, we're, we're going to this Holy Spirit thing on a Saturday night. And the first time I was invited, uh, one of the folks that had invited me leaned across in the car on the way there and said, Ken, just want to say to you, you may see some people raising their hands. You may see some people kind of dancing. You may see some people saying things. Don't worry, it's all okay. 
And I sat in the car thinking, what have I allowed myself to get invited to? Behold, says God, I do a new thing. And I say this because we are passing the baton to a new generation. And I remember that, but I guess that many people in this hall today, this is the only type of worship you have known. You've come in and you said, yeah, this makes sense. The challenge for you of how do we place the organ with electric guitar, you don't have to go through that one. You don't have to go through the hassle of what do I do with the hymn numbers on a column? How exciting does that get? We've, we've fought those battles. I dare to say we've won those battles. But for us, that was impossible, courageous, outrageous. That's what God was doing in the generation that has just gone, that is, again, well, still here with us. And I say all these things because it is that impossible courageous, outrageous leap of faith that every generation needs to embrace. And so you see, we come to today, or we come to tomorrow, or we come to 2020, and we look at those vision statements and we say to God, what is the new thing that you are saying to us now? Because behold, I do a new thing, cannot live with the last generation alone. Behold, I do a new thing, cannot last with the manner that was gathered yesterday. Behold, I do a new thing, speaks to our lives right here, right now. And we have to know how we're going to respond. And we have to know what we're responding to. I think, uh, again, Dave Holden, when he was here a couple of weeks ago, was saying that um, one of the mistakes was the word I think he used that this generation has used was that we internalized the Holy Spirit we kind of kept it within these four walls spiritual gifts became something that we did in Holy Spirit meetings I uh, I don't want to disagree with the big man I'm really aware that I'm being recorded Uh, but I'm not sure it was a mistake I think it was all the church could cope with at the time When God did a new thing and said, here are spiritual gifts, here are prophecy, here are words of knowledge, we kind of kept it in the church because we just just had to. We just didn't have the, the courage, the faith, the vision to take it out there. Doing it in here was big enough. But for us, right here, right now, behold, I do a new thing. I absolutely believe God is saying to us, this goes global. This goes viral. Because if for Isaiah's time, behold, I do a new thing, is Jesus is coming, get ready. If to a generation ago, behold, I do a new thing, is the Spirit is coming, get ready. To this generation now, moving on into 2020, behold, I do a new thing, means the power of God is coming. Not within these four walls. Not within the strangers that might accidentally wander in through the back door. And we praise God for every stranger. That, and it's never accidental because God plans it. But we, it's not about the twos and the threes that actually find their way to us. It's about us finding our way to the people out there. You see, the philosophy, the mentality, the approach that we had at that Love Crawley weekend is not a mentality that we have for one weekend a year. Or even for every weekend, but not for the five days. It has to be a daily. It has to be a regular. It has to be a common attitude that says, I can pray with my friends and neighbours for healing. 
and believe that God is going to do it. I don't have to spend three weeks trying to encourage them to come to church so that somebody can pray with them. I don't have to be fearful of sharing the gospel. You know, I will stand up here and do this stuff and I'm in my comfort zone here as much as anybody's in their comfort zone doing this sort of thing. I am not very good at speaking to strangers. I'm not very good at sharing the gospel in a kind of cold conversation. I'm not an evangelist. That may seem strange. I seem to have the gift of the gab, but that does not come easily to me. So I'm talking to myself here as much as anybody else because this is taking me out of my comfort zone. I'm very comfortable in these four walls. I think we all are. We're not so comfortable going out there. But you see, the question is, will we have impossible, courageous, outrageous faith to realise that? Because that's what God says when he says to us, behold, I do a new thing. Let's just look at those uh, vision uh, points again. What does this mean for us? Give away £60,000. We have a mortgage on this building. We have bills and salaries to play, uh, ministries to support. Sometimes just balancing the books can be an impossible task. And all credit to Rule and Tim, and uh, who are the kind of key trustees that keep us financially uh, on track. As a trustee, I kind of look on this uh, murky world of finance and praise God for Rule and Tim every time the accounts come out. Um, it's a challenge. And to say in the midst of that, we're going to give away £60,000 in 2020, be in a place where we can do that, that takes faith, that takes courage. But it's a sound biblical principle. Again, we see that again and again in Scripture. The measure to which you receive is the measure by which you give. So yes, we want to make this part of our DNA that we are a giving church. And the offerings that we had last week, the offering we had this week, are just the beginning of that. Again, it does not end with a yearly offering that we take to Ashburnham. I don't even know if we want to count that in, the 60,000 or not. It should be giving to uh, uh, needs out there. Pray for healing for over 1,500 people. That seems impossible and outrageous and unbelievably bold. But didn't the Love Crawley Weekend show us that it was within our grasp to do? It's within our gift to do. I, I had a picture, uh, again I was just thinking about this, I won't over-spiritualise it by saying it was, it was a picture, but I just had this thought, my mind was wandering, and I, I imagined a generation's time, all our little ones have kind of gone out to, to crash work now, but pick whichever one you want. Uh, Neil, you've got him there. You know. Imagine in a generation's time, that little one is ferreting down the back of the sofa, as little ones have a habit of doing, and pulls out that 2020 vision statement. Pray for healing for over 1,500 people. And says, oh, Dad, Mum, isn't that what we do every day? You know, the next generation has to see this as business as usual. Because to that generation, God is going to say, behold, I do a new thing. And they will have a new challenge to rise to. We've got to work through this one. These are the toughies for us. Generation that's coming up are going to say, why did you struggle with that? That's par for the course. We're, we're going further with God. Because that's the God that we have. 
baptise 140 people. Yeah, we want to believe that people are saved and added and baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit and moving in ministries, not over the course of two or three years, but over the course of two or three months. You know, I want to see people up here leading worship and, dare I say it, taking my slots at preaching and teaching. But I thought, I don't know who you are. You weren't here three months ago. Because that's a growing church. That's a church that's meeting this vision. Plant another church. Do we dare to believe that we could plant another church? Is that impossible? Outrageous? Or is that actually possible, given the people that we've actually got in this room right now? If God said, do that now. Have we got enough people to do that? When you go down to Ashburn, and we've been hearing about it already, of church plants in, uh, in Germany, in Maastricht, all that takes is half a dozen couples committed to God's word, committed to God's vision. Could we do that here in Crawley in the next few years? Or in Italy? Or in Brazil? Or in Spain? Or in Russia? Or in Southgate? Plant a new church. That's part of our vision. That's part of where we're going. Next phase of the building project. I don't know what what this might be. But we can make this hall twice as big. We can make this hall twice as big and seat, I don't know how many people we could seat, but twice as many as we seat now (laughs) if we make the hall twice as big. (laughs) My my preparation just astounds you, doesn't it? Um, But this is really important because, again, as, as a trustee, and it's not really my story to tell because I was involved in this only in a small way, but I do know the story of how this building was secured, that we as a church uh, scraped together just about every penny we could put to offer for this building. It was the lowest bid that was put in against six or seven other bids. Now, you don't need uh, an academic degree to know how bids and auctions work. They go to the person who bids the most. We bid the least and we were given this building. Now that is a miracle, and that is something that we mustn't forget. But we mustn't forget it not just because it happened 10 years ago, because that's probably how long it was, but because the time is getting longer and longer and longer from that miracle with this building. What's the next miracle that happens with this building? What's the impossible, outrageous, courageous faith the generation growing up now need to exercise? with regards to building a hall twice the size, or planting out another church, or doing both. Because the miracles with this building cannot end with the current generation. Because to every generation, God says, behold, I do a new thing. As we look at these goals, we can respond in one of two ways. As you look at these goals, you can respond in one of two ways. You can say, well, How can we possibly do that? How can we possibly do that? Every generation has to make this call as to whether they're going to move into the things of God or not. God gives every generation that choice. And if you look back in the book of Numbers, there's a great story there. Numbers is probably not one of the most readable books. Do you know why it's called the book of Numbers? Because there's some numbers in it. And you see, at the beginning of Numbers in chapter 1, the people of God have come out of Egypt. 
They've been miraculously rescued from slavery and bondage. And they're on the banks of the Jordan, ready to go into the promised land, ready to seize the promised land. And God says to Moses, number the people. Count the people that are going to win this land for you. Count the people of this generation that are going to take the promised land. And Moses counts the people and there's 600,000. That's Numbers chapter 1. And then they send some spies into the land who come back and say, I don't think we can do this. Their faith isn't quite as outrageous and courageous and impossible as God would have wanted it to be. And so God takes that generation, he turns them back into the wilderness for 40 years. A lost generation. And then in Numbers 26, at the end of the book, after 40 years of wandering, they are again back at the River Jordan. And God says to Moses, number the people again. And do you know how many there were? 600,000. No growth. No development, no change, no vision realised, no goals achieved, no purpose brought into reality. 600,000 people turned into the wilderness, 600,000 people a generation later back at the Jordan. And you see, as a generation, we always have that choice, that this is not for us, that this is too tough, this is too hard we always have the option to wander for 40 years. And all that happens is God brings out this slide again in 40 years' time and says to a new generation, well, how about this? How about giving away £60,000? How about praying for healing? How about baptising and planting a new church and building a new building? Do we want the next generation to do that? Or do we want to do it? I'll leave you to draw that conclusion. So yeah, we can turn around and we can say, that's too tough, that's too hard. Or we can look at those vision goals as the new thing that God is doing amongst us and simply say, well, God is always doing a new thing. God is always doing a new thing. Every generation, God has said the same thing to you. Behold, I do a new thing. We see that from scripture. We see that from history. This is just our new thing. Let's get on and do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us a vision and a goal and a purpose. You don't just call us into your kingdom to uh, live out however many years we have remaining of our lives. You call us into your kingdom for a purpose. And Steve reminded us last year, when we are old, even when we're old, there is land still to be taken. So, Lord, would we be a, a generation, I pray, that are almost hanging on to the baton, not wanting to pass it on because there's still so much for us to do. But, Lord, let us continually encourage one another, encourage our new generation that are growing up amongst us to see these things as just part and parcel of our daily church life, to take this for granted so that we can forever be growing, forever moving on, and that we raise up a generation that themselves can hear you say, Behold, I do a new thing. Amen.